And uh, I'm going to be preaching today on uh, turning points, uh, how God grows our faith through pivotal circumstances. And it's going to take a little while to unpack this, but I want to begin this morning by playing a video clip of a group of people talking about significant moments and significant things that uh, happened in their life and how God moved in and through them. So let's begin and watch that clip to begin with today. My pivotal circumstance happened when I lived in New York City in 2001. I'd recently moved there and uh, I was looking for a job and my roommate at the time, um, her friend worked at the restaurant called Windows on the World, which was at the top of the World Trade Center. And he, you know, got me in and I had my interview. I had my second interview and everything. And, you know, I pretty much had the job. And it was just, you know, a matter of me starting. And they showed me where I was going to sit, where my office was going to be and everything like that. And before you know it, they called back and they said, they were going to go with somebody else. And I was so angry at God because this was my dream job. And, you know, it was, you know, a hookup. It's who you know. And so, I, you know, I had first interview, second interview, and they showed me everything. I was introduced to people. And then all of a sudden, you know, no job. And I was just so angry at God. And, of course, fast forward a few months later, and September 11th happened. And almost nobody made it out of windows of the world. So I realized that I was spared and even sometimes when I, you know, act bratty and I pray for something it doesn't happen and you know the Holy Spirit just reminds me, you know, September eleventh, I know what happened. I know what's going gonna happen and even though you may not understand, you just have to trust me. My pivotal circumstance was when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. My divorce. After 23 years of marriage, my husband told me he wanted a divorce. Having a special needs child, my husband and I suffered from infertility for about five years. I lost a son, uh, Joshua, five years ago. Our son Parker was 16 and he had a car accident and died. When I was diagnosed with a brain aneurysm about a year ago. Being diagnosed with colon cancer. Going through uh, uh, my wife's cancer with her. I was told I had to have open heart surgery immediately. I've got an X right here that shows that lymphoma right underneath my right clavicle. It was at the end of a nine-month relationship. The birth of one of our four children. She has a diagnosis of having Down syndrome. One of them in my life happened this summer when I went on a missions trip to Peru. When my brother got into a car accident um, when I was 10, and I saw the whole accident happen. On August 6th, on the way to a meeting, I received a call. And the call went something like this. Uh, due to a strategic reorganization, your services after 10 years are no longer needed. The manager of the base bank at the base in Lubbock, Texas, gave me a call and said he wanted to take me to lunch. And I'm thinking to myself, why does this guy want to take me to lunch? And my pivotal circumstance was when um, I was 19 years old and chose to have an abortion. I lost my hair at the age of 30. My little son did and brought me outside and said, look up in the sky. And up in the sky, there was a plane sky riding. You plus God equals happiness. Um, and it was like it was just directly to me. It was almost like a burning bush. There was a guy who came in my life about 10 years ago and told me about this church. And all of that was the hand of God 
that I've seen every every day. Uh, and God's faithfulness is even seen in my hair coming back. It was just such a personal time for me to really know who God is. And what at one point tested my faith has become an item that has strengthened it. And from that day, I just gave everything up to him and asked him to forgive me. Knowing that I'll see Joshua again uh, gives us the, the faith and the courage and uh, the hope to go on. God has entered in my life in a new way. It wasn't that I didn't believe, but now it was practical and now it was real. And uh, shortly thereafter, in a church, in a church service, um, uh, I responded to an invitation to Christ and, and invited Jesus into my life. That's my story. Uh, that's my story. That's my pivotal circumstance. Amazing set of testimonies, don't you think? People speaking about things that have uh, happened in their life that as they go through the list in the opening part of the, uh, of the testimonies, you think, man, they're, they're really tough. That, that's hard. Uh, you know, some of those things uh, are devastating. But as they reflected uh, and as they allowed God to work in and through those circumstances, he revealed himself to them in a way that had a significant impact on their life that came to be what you might call a signpost for the future and that he then imprinted himself in a way that wouldn't have been possible unless they had gone through that circumstance. Now, such a theology raises lots of questions. Uh, we then get into the issues of, well, you know, does God cause evil to happen? Does he send trouble in our lives? And we would always want to say that God is a loving God uh, and that he doesn't send calamity uh, to his children, but instead he is there with them as they go through troubles in life. Jesus said himself, you will have trouble in life. That to be alive is to be breathing, is to be at the risk of getting sick. It goes with the territory and the list goes on. To love someone is to run the risk of experiencing grief when that person is lost through whatever circumstances. But God is there with us at that moment and walks through us with that journey. And as we get to various stages through that and we look back or we have a, a perspective that we do not have at the time, we're able to say, you know, I'm a different person because of that and I'm different because God walked through that circumstance with me and that he ushered in uh, his grace and mercy uh, at that time when he was there. The Bible speaks quite openly about God bringing good out of evil. It doesn't shy away from that issue whatsoever. In fact, God really is presented as a master craftsman when it comes to taking circumstances that on the surface just look devastating, just look truly awful, even evil. The Bible uses that word itself, that word evil, and talks about God bringing good out of it. And our temptation, and we've been talking already, where we, you know we've been thinking, well, you know that's nice for God. What about me? But I want to submit to you this morning. Can you think of the greatest example ever in the history of humanity? of God bringing good out of evil. What's the one that comes to mind? The death of the Son of God. 
God says, look at these poor people struggling. Look at these people lost in their sin. I will send my son. And our response at the age 33 is to knock him off. That's a disaster for humanity. That's an unbelievable thing to do to the messenger from our creator who sent into the world to save its sin. And at that point, the devil must have thought, man, I've had a win there. Those that had any perspective must have thought, what have we done? We've killed our saviour. And the sense that there's this evil, there's this unbelievable uh, sense of how could we do that? God says, it's okay. I saw this coming. I knew it was going to happen. And through the death of my son, the power of sin is broken over humanity. And the evil one did not see that coming. The evil one did not know that was going to occur. But through this uh, circumstance that on the surface we're looking saying, no, what a disaster, how could that happen? Nothing good can come out of this. God releases humanity from the power of sin. His son is raised to life in a resurrection that is unbelievable in its implications and then the Holy Spirit is sent out on all flesh. So when we face the temptation to say to God, oh, I think you've lost control here. I think you've, you're, you know, we, sometimes when there's things going on in our life, we think, quick, let's pray. And, and one of the reasons we're praying sometimes, we say, I better let God know that it's happening. <laughs> I better tell him, quick, send a telegram to God. He's on leave. He's on the top floor working with the chief executive team. He doesn't know what's going on down here. You know, let's get him informed. But God is so over the detail of this creation, including your life. It's beyond understanding what he knows, that he understands the microscopic issues of life And so the call to us is not to let God know what's happening, but instead for us to get informed about how God wants to and perhaps is already working through this circumstance. To open ourselves up and to allow for the fact that God is at work even in stuff that we would call evil or a disaster. Not that he sends it, but that he understands the pain that we go through as humans and wants to step into that and reveal himself to us. Now this challenges our modern day Western thinking because we want to say, no, I've read it in the paper that my happiness and my comfort are number one. And I thought God's agenda was to work to that. I thought God's plan was to set me up for life. I'm sure I read that somewhere. I might have even heard it preached. I get it in the media. Get this. Save for that. Accumulate that. But the number one priority for God in your life is for you to have a relationship with him. Your faith in him trumps everything that you might experience or accumulate or acquire on this earth. And sometimes our flesh rebels against that and says, no, I will be king. My comfort will rule. My happiness reigns supreme. You will submit to that agenda, Lord. God says, there's something greater going on here between you and me. There's something more significant and it's your closeness and your relationship to me. And at times we need to be brought to our knees 
We need to be broken so that we will receive the faith that God has in mind. And he is able to overcome and work through even the most devastating and significant of circumstances. We read in the scriptures this thing, that in fact I want to submit to you today that it's not your comfort or your happiness or your security which God understands and lavishes upon us and knows our need for those things, but instead it's our faith and our relationship with him that gives meaning even to those good things, that stops those things from devastating us when we acquire too much or stops even the worst of events from destroying us when we don't submit to them and submit them to God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith is it impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe firstly that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now sometimes if we reflect on our circumstances, we might realise that sometimes we work so hard to set up a life that doesn't require faith. That sometimes we're operating so hard and we, we set up a way of living and we need to look back and say, in the last week, in the last month, in the last year, or at what time in my life did I require faith in God to live or to do a certain thing? And we, we can reflect on our circumstances and think, well, you know, I don't see a lot of faith. It seems low risk the way I'm living. Or, or you know, uh, I, I have looked at things in a different way. And the sobering point is that the scripture is saying that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to connect with God. Without faith, it's impossible to relate to him. That, that faith is essential for interacting with the living being. You could say it's the currency of the divine. That accepting that God is there and responding to him. So therefore... If it's impossible for you to relate to God without faith, what do you think God's priority is for you in your life? Faith. He needs you to have faith so that you can speak his language. He needs you to have relationship with him so he can, you can receive him. And that begins with Jesus. That begins with us saying yes to Jesus because God has put on a signpost for the entire world here is my son. John 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father but by me. Acts 4 chapter 12. There is no one else through which we must be saved because there is no other name that's been given to a person by which we come to faith. That is the promises in the word of God. That's where it starts. But it's not a matter of saying yes to Jesus Fantastic, tick the Christian box and now I'll just go on with a faithless life. I'll just, I'll just keep going, this, I'll just live without faith. That doesn't work. Growth in Jesus requires growing faith. Sometimes our circumstances threaten it either through crisis or comfort. Sometimes they come against the development of faith in our life. And in one sense, you might say, well, that sounds like a problem. It is, but a muscle needs resistance to build. So our faith at some times, given the nature of who we are as human beings, has to be tested. It's got to meet resistance. 
You can't say you've got faith if everything's believable. I can't say I have faith that this chair is here in front of me. What does that mean? I can sit on it, touch it. That's not much faith at all. But if we want to have faith in God, we're already making a profound statement when we say that. We are, we are proclaiming that there is a God. And every one of you knows that that meets resistance often these days. What God? Where is he? What's he ever done? What's he doing about this situation? Where is it there? It requires faith. You're in a hostile environment at times to say, I believe in a good God. Well, that's the starting point. That's fine. But then when things come into your life that challenge that perception, you are then faced with a choice. You are faced with an opportunity, but you are also faced with an option. You can say, yeah, well, I'm pretty sad about what happened. I'm very distressed. And, and, the, and, the, and it's, it's like to step away to say, yeah, God's not there. Drop, he dropped the ball. He's missed it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to go on with him through this. It's a very real threat, very real temptation. The temptation to say this circumstance overweighs anything that I think about him. And we all have to stand in that place like those people on the screen and we have to say, will we allow ourselves to go to the other side and to say, I saw God at work through that. My life changed because of what happened. I don't want to go through it again, but I'm different because of it, because I allowed God to speak into it and God to work through it. It's something that we all have to confront. I want to suggest today, and this is a list that I got from Andy Stanley uh, from the North Point Church, and as his team reflected on what faith looks like and you know, how it grows in our life, they came up with a list of five. There might be more than this. But they saw five things that grew our faith. And we're obviously focusing on number five today. Practical teaching, providential relationships, private distance, personal ministry and pivotal circumstances. And I think I can confidently say that I could point to all five of those that had blessed me throughout my Christian walk. I know when I've been in church, I've listened to more sermons than I've preached. You might find that hard to believe, but it's true. I haven't been doing that for this long. I haven't been doing this for that long. Um, and the times that I've heard stuff, that, that a preacher has said something, and um, you know, th- words that I can still remember. I remember listening to something by Howard Hendricks. I never heard him preach in the flesh. Someone came up to him once and said... I tell you what, Hendricks, this Christian life's impossible. And he said, fantastic. Now you understand. I've never forgotten that. And what he means is, it is. Being a Christian is a miracle. (laughs) Believing in the God that we can't see is a miracle. It is a work of God. We do need the Holy Spirit. And that's just one of many things that I've heard over the years. Providential relationships speak for themselves. Speak for themselves. I can still remember walking out of church one day at the Seton Church in 2003 and Pastor Bill had been talking about one of his trips to Papua New Guinea and I'm sitting there thinking, I'd like to go there. 
that sounds like fun. And I made the mistake of telling Judy. Now, she's a quite a reliable person most of the time. No, all the time. But anyway, as we were walking out, she says to Bill, Dave wants to go to Papua New Guinea. And he'd go, you know, fantastic. And away it went. I was a pastor 18 months later. Because it's just that connection. The list goes on. Private disciplines I speak about a lot. Personal ministry is when we actually serve, when we actually step out and say, I can help with that. I can contribute to that. I've been gifted to make an offering. And as we make that offering and that, that surrender, our faith goes through the roof because we're saying, you know, God's made me like this. I'm good at that. I'm giving it to him and to the church to use. And our faith grows through service. We should never underestimate the power that comes in when we do surrender and sacrifice in that way. And then five pivotal circumstances we can all probably point to of one description or other. We can say, that changed my life. And sometimes it's, it's a positive to say, no, I definitely, things changed at that point. Sometimes that it presented as something that we're just thinking, how am I going to get through this? But yet we look back and say, I'm a different person through going through that. God moved through it, even though it looked horrendous. So I want you to consider those five today and we're going to concentrate on pivotal circumstances for a bit longer. Um, one of the great statements that I, I'd love, it's an easy, Genesis 50, 20. If I had to ask you about thinking about stories in the Bible that truly reflected God's ability to use evil for good, I wonder which would come to your mind first. There's a particular guy I'm thinking of. Anyone? Starts with a J. Job is a good one. I wasn't thinking of him, but thanks, Sam. J-O-S-E-P-H. Joseph is what I've got in mind on this occasion. Joseph, and I've preached on him before. I'm not going to go through his whole story today, but those of you know, young man, 17, has a dream. Sounds pretty exciting. Tells his family. They ate his guts. Sell him into slavery. Gets thrown, falsely accused of rape. Thrown into a dungeon. Forgot about for 13 years. Nothing's happening. Where's the dream, Lord? What's happened to the dream? It's been filed. Get it up. It's lost in memory. It's going to be brought back to the front. What's happened, Lord? And then, you know, the story gets out of jail, becomes governor of Egypt. Eight years later, he's now 38. His brothers ditched him 21 years earlier at 17. They they sold him. They were going to kill him to start with. And they sold him to slavery. I mean, I don't know about you. Anyone here being sold into slavery by their family at age 17? Tragically, it still happens today. Devastating. Unbelievable that that could happen. But that's what happened to Joseph. 21 years later, his brothers show up, desperate for food, and he's got his moment and the temptation to say, you worthless bunch of brothers. The temptation to curse the circumstance, to curse the people, to curse God. And saying, my life was a disaster for 13 years because of what you did to me. But he has a different perspective because of faith. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph is reconciled 
to the evil that was done to him. Joseph is reconciled to the trauma that he has gone through. Joseph has come to grips with the fact that God can use evil for good, that God is able to influence a person's destiny even through the despicable things that are done to them, that God is able to work miraculously through these things and set a person on a course. They think they've Oh, I wasn't supposed to be in this dungeon. I wasn't supposed to be forgotten about. I wasn't supposed to be falsely accused of rape. I wasn't supposed to be sold into slavery. I wasn't supposed to have my brothers hate me. In one sense, that's right. But yet God says, however, I have put you right here to achieve the miracle of salvation. Jesus could quote that verse from Genesis 50, verse 20 himself. Look at that. Did you imagine if that was in the words of Jesus? Saying to the people that nailed him to the cross, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Jesus could say that. Right back there's the gospel in the first book of the Bible. You thought you were getting rid of me, but here I am up from the dead, and look at the salvation of many lives. So Joseph and Jesus both have a grasp of that. I put in the Romans 8, 28 verse, because that's equally as well known as some of the others. And the reason they're both there together is because it's almost like a restatement of the truth of what's being preached today from the Old Testament through to the New. The Apostle Paul said, we know. I mean, he's assuming you should understand this. This is the nature and the character of God. To have the Holy Spirit is to be aware of this, that in all things there's no wiggle room again. The Apostle Paul, Jesus, they keep using the word all, everything, never. It's too emphatic. Surely they can give themselves a way out. Well, not that. Well, not that. I mean, maybe this, but not that. But the apostle says, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That would describe Joseph. He was called at 17. He was given a dream and a vision. His part, Joseph, was to love God, was to believe in God, was to have faith that God was guiding him even through disaster. And we're so often tempted to say, oh, I'm done like this. I'm not happy with that. I'm not sure about this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be here. And it's a, it's, a, it's a threat, but it's also an opportunity to say, Lord, I'm going to trust in the authority of your word. I'm going to trust your word when it says that you're able to do that. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to believe in it. I'm going to receive it. And I'm going to walk and continue to walk in your ways. I'm not going to deny your goodness. I know it's tough at the moment, says the Lord. It is a challenge at times to get there, especially in those devastating circumstances. He understands that. But don't forget, he's walked in that space. He understands through Jesus what that looks like. And so we step out and we accept the goodness and the graciousness of God at that time. Now... What I wanted to reflect on today, and the truth is, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how we're going to get through all of it, so we're just going to step carefully. 
But when it comes to talking about turning points, I wanted to rely on the life of Moses. Uh, not Jesus, not Joseph, but I'm, I'm borrowing from Moses. And the reason why uh, I'm going with Moses today is because Moses' life, 120 years according to the scriptures, was packed with turning points. And many of them, many of them just looked like a disaster. Many of you know the story. Firstly, he's born at a time when there is a royal edict that he needs to be killed. I mean, if you're picking a time to arrive on earth, I'm not going with that. I mean, he was on the back foot from the start, young Moses. But instead, his, his mother, it says, the scriptures said, his mother had faith. She believed that God's hand was upon the child. She makes up this thing. She could have got killed for disobeying the order. And they send him into a river. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've been sent up the river. He got sent down the river. Um, and, you know, he gets picked up he, he, by the Pharaoh's princess. They might have done it strategically while they're out bathing. I don't know. But anyway, he gets raised in the royal palace. But because it's his, I think it was his mother suckling him. I should have perhaps checked the story closely. She gets the job to look after him for Pharaoh's daughter. So she reminds him of his heritage. He never forgets that he's a Jew and he's a, a God's person. He's aware of that and aware of their treatment. So while the Israelites, his people, are in slavery, he's in the royal palace. And one day when he sees one of them getting threatened, he does his block and kills the Egyptian mistreating one of his fellow people. Bold move. Murder. And at that point, he just, he's, he runs. He runs and he goes into the desert and he's there at age 40 for 40 years, shepherding sheep, keeping his nose clean, fearful that back home there's a death sentence over his head, which there was. And when you're looking at Moses in the desert, you're thinking, mate, you really, you stuffed that up, buddy. <laughs> like that overreaction thing with the murder, perhaps you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, like, like. But even the evil that we do at times, God is able to redeem and to work through. So out in the desert, Moses is there reflecting on his sins, reflecting on his life in the royal palace you know, saying, I used to eat sheep for tea, now I just, you know, feed them grass and eat that with them. Uh, but then the turning point comes when God reveals himself through a very special moment called the burning bush. And God meets Moses in the, the desolation and the destitute and out in the desert. God goes to him and says, I am your Lord. And this is what I have for you to do. And sometimes I know we're thinking, man, because of that choice I made back there, I'm now here and I'm in the middle of nowhere. Because of that thing that happened to me back there, I'm now standing here and I've got nothing around me. I'm broke. I'm divorced. I'm without my kid. The list goes on. I don't have my health. Because of that, I'm here. And we want to speak and say, because of that, I'm lost. Because of that, I have no hope. Because of that, I can't hear from God. Because of that, uh, his will for my life's gone. And we're pointing back and we're saying, that caused this. 
And we want to blame that and we want to curse that and we don't want to allow for the fact that God wants to speak in this or can speak or will speak in this situation. We're thinking, Lord, I missed it back there. Lord, you lost control of my life back there. I can't. You've gone there, I've gone there. We think we're gone. As if God didn't know what we were like back there. As if God didn't know how we would react. As if God didn't know the impact that that would have on us. We think we're lost. Moses stands in such a place, seeing that his actions of 40 years ago have set him on a path and might have been tempted. But instead God steps into this space and says, your time is now. I am revealing myself to you. And we know already by what we've heard that it's faith that is required at that moment. Moses, for all his problems, because of the upbringing of his mother, he has faith. He believes in the God of Israel and he recognises him when God appears. Now, God then gives him an assignment reminiscent of Joseph's, reminiscent of the Lord Jesus, and says, you are to go back and get my people out of slavery by appealing to Pharaoh and you're to lead them out. Now, I don't know what he's been up to for 40 years, I'm not sure how much shepherding helps you in terms of leading a nation. I mean, I I don't know. It might be good. Maybe I should give it a go. I mean, let's just check it out. I don't know. Shearing, shepherding. Anyway, Moses is ready. But as you know, Moses got a string of excuses. Not a very good speaker. The list goes on. You know, I've had a hard life. We've got excuses, haven't we, for saying no to God. Oh, we've got a book of them. Oh, but Lord... It's very difficult. What you're asking me to do is very hard. I've had a hard life. This has gone wrong. I did this wrong. And the Lord just says, basically to Moses, I'll give someone to help you and I'll be with you. I mean, after that, what else do you want? I'm there. I'm there. It's okay. I'm giving you the command. Go with the command. So then Moses goes back and we're going to look at some of the story uh, about what happens. But for those of you who don't know the story, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, and he might have been thinking, Pharaoh, I've heard from God. And this is what he says you are to do. Send my people out to the desert where mercy of the Lord. Thank you very much. I have done the Lord's will. And then Moses might have thought, well, that's going to be fine now. I mean, I've heard from God. I'm, I'm telling Pharaoh, he must obey. It's going to be fine. What's the problem? And instead, all hell breaks loose. Pharaoh says, you stupid Israelites, now you're going to have to get the straw for your bricks as well. And he doubles it. It goes crazy. And we're going to fight the temptation sometimes. We're thinking, well, Lord, I'm a Christian. I've heard from you. My life will now take this trajectory and I'll never experience trouble. As if it's sort of some sort of insurance policy. I'm with Jesus Christ mutual life. Nothing will touch me. But the lesson one from Moses is this. I want to to read this to you. When you set out to do God's will, do not expect everything to travel smoothly and for everyone to stand back and applaud. Moses has heard from God. He is doing God's will. He is speaking truthfully and faithfully. But Pharaoh's initial reaction even causes Moses' own people to speak against what he's doing. He's got no friends. He's Moses' no friends. 
Neither the, the opponents or even his own people want to know about it. Everyone's poured in on him at this time. Moses' first reaction, go back to God and complain. I'm filing a complaint, Lord. This is, I'm at the complaints department. My life is not unfolding according to my plan. Here it is. Oh, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon the people and you have not rescued your people at all. Lord God, the timetable's wrong. Lord God, the plan's not unfolding, right? I'm here to make a complaint. Ever fold one of those? I don't know, maybe you fold one this morning. You know, I thought I heard, Lord, when you said follow Jesus, I was sure it was you. But now my family hates me. Now this, I've lost my job. Now I, I won't be employed here because I've been a pastor, so all my options are closed. I want to make a complaint. Well, how does God respond? He doesn't actually directly reply. You ever get that response from God? You know, I put a complaint in, Lord, I expect a proper reply. I mean, give me a response to what I'm raising. These are serious issues. God just goes up. You know, he's pretty high already, so he just goes above Moses' head. He said, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country, out of his country. God knows the reaction. God sees the opposition. God understands the frustration. It's not news to him. And he just affirms to Moses, on we go with the plan. On we go with the agenda. Now you will see the unfolding of what is about to happen. I have not spoken falsely falsely to you, says the Lord. I've not failed to keep my promises. I've not failed to live up to the direction for your life. You are not lost. You are not sideswiped. You are on track. You are experiencing opposition. It's the nature of being alive. It's the nature of following me. I didn't guarantee you a trouble-free life, but what I did promise you was my presence in the middle of every circumstance. And so on they go. What happened next? When Pharaoh let the people go, so it did happen eventually, but then they got into the desert. Now that was a fun time, that was. You might have thought, well, they're out of slavery. It's It's got to be downhill from here. But when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. You ever said to God, Lord, you're taking me the long way. I I thought we'd have this sorted out by now. I thought I'd be here by now. I thought I would have achieved this by now. I thought I would have owned this by now. I thought I would have been working here by now. I thought I would have had this relationship sorted out by now. Ever told God he's taken too long? Well, he's got a reason. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to reflect, but sometimes we wanted something so bad. That young girl, she wanted that job so bad. And God says, you don't know what's coming. And you're not, I know whether you're able to persevere through that thing. I know what's good for you. I know whether you're able to cope with that. And God looks at his people and says, if they fight a battle straight away, they're just going to go straight back to slavery. 
And often we're not ready for the opposition. We're not ready for the resistance. And the road that we're taking is a longer one so that we're better able to cope with either the blessing or the responsibility that's coming our way. So we've got to be wary of telling God he's not on track with a schedule. So they lead the people around the desert road towards the Red Sea. Now then God gives his people a very interesting description. Very interesting descript- uh, what is it? It's an instruction. <laughs> it's a direction and an instruction which becomes a destruction when they're combined. But thankfully not for the Israelites for them. Look at what the Lord says. Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near that place between that place and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite that place. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Now, when you read that passage, and it may not come out completely well, the Lord basically leads his people into a trap. Have you ever felt trapped? You ever felt like you're wandering around the land in confusion? That you're hemmed in by your circumstances? That God's led you into a trap? Ever felt like that? Anyone ever accused God of that? I don't know where I'm going. You don't know where you're taking me. I'm hemmed in by these circumstances. I can't get out and change them. I'm stuck. Well, God knows all about where you are and why you're there. God knows all about what you're dealing with and what you're facing. God is not lost or on vacation. But in fact, on this occasion, he's led his people into that place. I often tell people to remember that before a baby is born, it's stuck. Most of you look at me and say, has that got a point to it? Is a man going to say something about childbirth and make it make sense? The point is that something good's about to happen, but the baby is under pressure. The mother is under pressure. Everything is stuck. But soon new life arrives through the stuckness, through the pressure, through the pain, through the circumstances. So what's the point if the husband walks in and says, why is my wife in so much pain? Oh, I just And tears the room up and kills the baby. What's the point of that? That's a failure to understand what God is doing through the circumstances. That's a failure to understand the new life that's coming through the pain and the pressure. So don't curse your circumstances. Don't curse the pain. Don't curse the pressure. But instead allow for the fact that God is doing something miraculous through it. That God is bringing something to birth through it. That God is ushering something in. And on this occasion... Just to maximise the effect, God leads his people into a trap. They can't get out of their own. They can't run away. There's nowhere to go. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians. And they were all terrified and they cried out to the Lord. Well, that's a good idea to do that. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in the Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? Why have you done this to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Why did you make me be a Christian? Why didn't you just let me stay there? Why couldn't I keep doing that job? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This is miserable. 
Well, I prefer the past. Send me back to that. I'm sure I was happier then. And the Israelites miss it. And on the verge of cursing the saving activity of God. Moses, by now, has progressed in his faith. Praise the Lord. So he doesn't go back to God to say, the people aren't happy. I'm filing another complaint. I'm not happy with the way the last one was dealt with. Here it is in writing. Moses, this time, he goes for this. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need be still. One of the greatest statements that a leader of God's people has ever spoken over them. Moses has seen it all now. He's seen a bit now. He's seen circumstances that looked awful change. He's seen himself be delivered out of seemingly obscurity and and desolateness. And he stands in front of God's people as they are giving their complaints. And he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you'll see, the opposition that you're experiencing, you'll never see again. And the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. It's a great verse to go back to, folks, and to remember this challenge that he gave them today. Final scripture that I want to show you today. We all know the story that God made a way through the Red Sea, through the immovable obstacle that they couldn't be parted. God found a way and directed them through and he showed them this amazing deliverance. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they put their trust in him and and Moses, his servant. When, When they saw what God had done, They feared him, they respected him, but they also took a step themselves and placed their trust in him. Folks, I want to ask you straight out today, straight up today, have you put your trust in God? Are you trusting God? I'm I'm putting that on all of you today. I know for some of you, You have not even yet said yes to Jesus. You have not trusted that Jesus is God's salvation plan for you. That the death of Christ on a cross, as obscure as it might be, as weird as it might be, that that is the starting point of your salvation. That's the first thing you need to do to place your trust in God. That's your starting point. Secondly, for those of us who have done that, the question comes to all of us again today, have we placed our trust in God? Are we placing our trust in God? Will we believe that he is able to do the things that his word says that he will? Will we believe that he is able to work in and through our circumstances? Can he deliver us? Can he deliver this church? Can he deliver this community? Can he deliver this nation? Can he save me? And folks, we have to stand at that place today and we have to re-declare again, yes, Yes, he can. Yes, he will. As much as the pain hurts, as much as the circumstances threaten, as much as I feel I am lost and stuck, yet I will believe that God can deliver me through this. And I want to invite everyone here today to make that 
assertion as we pray right now. Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful story of the deliverance of Moses and the Egyptians through the most terrifying and confronting of circumstances. Lord, we see in your faithfulness to them that you are the God that can bring evil, can bring good out of evil, that can deliver us through stuckness, that can help us as we seek you even through the pain and the suffering of life. Lord, we thank you that through the death of Jesus Christ you brought a miracle of unparalleled proportions, that you released the salvation of all the earth through his sacrifice and obedience. And Father, I want to pray now for every single person that's here this morning. Every single person, Lord. Because I know that everyone here will be facing some challenge, some stuckness, some difficulty of some description that has been dealt a series of circumstances in their life that they wouldn't necessarily have planned or chosen, yet it is their story and they are struggling to commit their faith in you. They're struggling to trust you, Lord. I want to pray for those people now. I want them to release that anxiety and that fear and deposit it into your hands and say, Lord, I believe and I receive. And just while we're praying, and I, I feel it's right to do this, while all heads are bowed, all eyes are closed, I want to provide an opportunity for anyone here who has not yet said yes to Jesus, who has not yet placed their faith and trust in him for the first time, to do so simply by raising your hand and saying, Pastor, I haven't done that yet. I want to do that this morning. I need to start there with my salvation and I need to trust him. If that's you, while we're praying, just put your hand up. Then we're going to say a prayer together and close our service. Just want to give you a little bit more time. Just before we conclude our prayer. It's just saying yes to him saying I'm placing my trust and faith in him. All right, let's conclude our prayer. Father God, we thank you that you are a trustworthy God and I thank you for those people who are still, Lord, to start with you. May they find that point soon where they can say, I trust Jesus Christ. I give him my life. I place my faith in him. Lord, for the rest of us, Help us today as we leave this place to truly trust in you, to stop going over the circumstances of our life, past and present. Stop cursing them. Stop saying that you weren't there or, or you can't help or, or you've lost control of our lives and instead, Lord, to surrender to you totally and fully. I thank you for those people that you've loved here today, that you've cared for, Lord, we commit ourselves to you afresh as a church and as a community and as Christians, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, uh, just given the time that we're facing now, what I'm going to do is actually uh, close our service. Uh, for those serving in uh, hospitality, you might want to head out there.
and prepare for the folks that are heading out. Uh, just a reminder for everyone here uh, that uh, you can connect with us on hillscfc.org forward slash connect. So we would love to hear from you uh, if that is you this morning. Uh, prayer requests, prayer needs, update your details. You can use hillscfc.org forward slash connect. So we'd love you to do that. Don't forget, we'll be back next week celebrating communion next week. Uh, and then the week after the men's event and Pastor Daryl Stott. So you, you really wanna, won't want to miss either of them. So plan to be at them. Let me know if you're coming to the men's event. Just by texting me on the phone, that'd be great. Think of someone else you can tell, either within our church or outside, about who could be there. I'm going to ask our team now just to play gently. So I might ask you all to stand to your feet. For those that want to remain and and worship and and just uh, be here for a moment's time, you can certainly do that. Uh, For those of you who want to head out to morning tea, that is totally okay. You can do that now. We've reached our our finishing time, so please do that. Uh, But in particular, I want to invite our prayer ministry team down the front and I want to invite anyone to come forward for a prayer. Firstly, you can get prayer for anything. I mean, if it's healing, if it's provision, whatever you want. This is the time when we pray for people. Uh, But in particular, if it's an issue of trust, if it's an issue of really surrendering the circumstances of your life to God to allow him to work through them, then I invite you to do that now. We had a powerful time yesterday afternoon with uh, Adam Dunkley and his uh, fiancée, Sandy. And just to hear them talk about uh, seeing the hand of God through what Adam and the boys had been through was a witness to us all. I obviously thought about my message, Adam, while I was listening to you and Sandy speak. And uh, we don't really know or plan for always what we see coming, but by God's grace, we then see him move in and through those things and we're just rejoicing what's happening in you guys' life at the moment. So folks, worship, pray, reflect. Please come forward, prayer ministry team, and anyone seeking prayer about anything, we want to do that right now. If it's time for you to leave, you want to head out to morning tea, please do that. Uh, The choice is yours, but we're going to just worship and pray for people uh, as we close our service now.